0: in part four of our series kingdom here this morning and they're looking for a title for my message it is called the upside down kingdom the upside down kingdom have you ever felt like when you're growing up it was kind of like upside down have you felt like your your household was upside down um i, I lived in um what you would call today overcrowded ha- homes over Overcrow- anybody ever live in overcrowded homes like uh, <laughs> over and that's how it was and for you that was normal and, you know, and so my mum was from the Cook Islands, and so she, she moved here in the 70s, um, and I remember the 80s the most. And so um, whenever family came over from, the, from, from Rarotonga, they would come and stay with us, and we were come like the ha- halfway house. So I was used to growing up, with um, lots of cousins all around, aunties and uncles living with us, grandparents living with us. Um, rooms will be full, like we'll have a, I mean, one of our rooms was a bunk bed and a double bed. So you had two kids on, on one of the top, two kids at the top. And it's amazing how many kids you can fit on a double bed. It's amazing. And top, top tails, you know, you have somebody's foot in your face. It was good times. And, you know, the lounge. Having people sleep in a lounge was normal, like on the, on the couches, on the floor. Every, it was normal. In fact, it's still normal in our house today, <laughs> sleeping in the lounge and things like that. And it was, quite, and it was fun, and, and I loved it. And we learned discipline. We learned as kids, like uh, if you stayed in your lane, life was okay. And if you disobeyed, then you were disciplined. And, uh, and so we learned to honor our older folks, uh, honor our, um, our, our elders and things like that. But We just had a lot of good times. Uh, it was fun. But um, I remember when I was about 16, life changed for us whereas everybody started moving out and all of a sudden the house was emptied and and I got my first bedroom on my own when I was 16 I thought, wow, I felt like I was getting my own house. Uh, that's what it was like, you know, oh, I've got my own room and so much space. And, and, then, and then I was like, oh, and all of a sudden, I was like, all of a sudden I was afraid because I've never slept by myself before. <laughs> and so I'm 16, never slept by myself. And so I'm in this room. But I, I remember, I, I, all of a sudden I realized, I felt like my room was automated. You know what I mean by automated? So like I wake up in the morning, my room is a mess. I go to school and I come back and the bed's made everything's clean. I'm like, wow, my room is automated. And so the thing is, I never noticed it because I realized growing up, I never did any housework growing up. Never did any of that. My, it was always done by the aunties and uncles, my mom, my grandmother, and all those things. Now it was just me in the household with me, my mom, and my grandmother. They were still doing all the cleaning and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was kind of normal. So I was like, I'll get up in the morning. My bed's messy. I'll get my clothes and I'll throw it on the floor. and I'll come home from school and now my bed is made, and my clothes are washed, dried, and it's ironed. Everything was ironed. Even my underwear was ironed. It was incredible. In fact, I'll go to my kitchen table. I'll sit on my kitchen table. We didn't have a dining room. And food will just come to me, and I'll eat my food. I'll get off, and then, and then it will miraculously be cleaned. And, and I never did any house, uh, 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 housework whatsoever growing up. And I know what you're thinking to yourself, well, wow, that guy is lazy. <laughs> what a lazy guy. Uh, but hear me out. Let, let me get a bit of reprieve, okay? This is what I learned, what my mum and my grandmother taught me. They taught me compassion. They taught me to, to love people. They taught me to accept people. They taught me that, um, that even when, when, when we didn't have much room, someone needed a place to stay. We haven't got much room, but we've got room. You're welcome to this place. If you, if, you didn't, if you didn't have any food, we don't have much, but you're welcome to have what we do have. And so I had many of my friends stay, or, or stay with, with me. Sometimes they would run away from home and stay with me. for And I will just keep telling my mom, oh, my mate, Pete, he just wants to stay the night for the whole week. Stay the night. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but I, this, is, this is what I learned. And then, and then when I got married uh, with Poro, then I this is what I learned. I, I realized that I didn't marry my mother. So I realized that when I put my clothes on the floor, and then I go and I come back, guess what? My clothes are still on the floor, I hadn't gone anywhere. And then I learned, when I sit at my kitchen table, all I'm doing is sitting at the kitchen table because nothing else happens. I'm just sitting, I'm looking at my shoulder. Yeah. But, yeah, but to be honest, in my household, uh, this, uh, this is, in, in our household, I actually I do all the cleaning, I do all the cooking, I do all these things. It's not because Porto doesn't want to do it, it's because I want to do it. I discovered that I started doing for Porto and my children what my mother and my grandmother had been doing for me. And, they, and I had, and in fact, if you come to my house, I will serve you. And I will serve you. And, and, um, and we always have a mattress in the hallway for, um, for, for not, not if, but when somebody needs a place to stay. And we've always got room. We've got a couch, we've got mattress. And we've always got people staying at our place for whatever reasons, Whether my friend, was our son says, look, my, oh, my friend got kicked out of home, can he stay with us? And I was going, just as long as he doesn't eat my, my cereal, it's okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> but the thing is, this is what I learned. And, and, I, and, I, and the biggest thing I learned was compassion, to be compassionate um, to, one, uh, to one another. Um, and um, and I, I, do you ever feel like our society is becoming less compassionate? Do you feel it's less compassionate? Like, when I talk to older people, this is what I hear all the time. They say, "Well, it wasn't like that back in my day, right?" And you might be, you might have seen those same words. Wasn't like that back in my day, and I, and I realize when I get a bit older, I'm going to say, be saying the same things. It wasn't like the day people weren't like this in my day. But I do feel that our society is becoming less compassionate because the the road to to be compassionate takes full attention. Did you know that that the road to Compassion takes full attention. Takes our full attention because I believe that our attention is under attack. It is, truly is because we live so busy lives, don't we? And you know, you know, you know the smartphone. I, I, I love the smartphone. I really do. I really enjoy it. And, and it's and, and um, you know this phone has connected us worldwide like never before. We're we're way more connected than ever before. But at the same time, our phones have disconnected us from one another. Have you ever gone to the fish and chip shop? Right, and you sit there, there to order your food, and you notice as you sit there, and everybody's on their, their devices, they're on their phones. Or you go to the doctors, everybody's on the devices. I remember going on the plane, and, and I jumped on the plane, and there's a guy by the window, and I got myself finally got my seatbelt, and once I figured out how this thing works, uh, and then I turned to the guy and I go, "Hey, how's it going? Where, where you off to?" And he doesn't say, nothing, he doesn't reply back to me. Then I realized he had some ear earphones, and he's on his phone, and I was like, "Okay," so I put my earphones on, and I was on my phone. But I think we're under attack, we're under a siege all the time. You know, how many times, have you ever gone out for a date with your, with your partner or, or gone out with your friends and you go, go to a restaurant and somebody's, you see someone having a romantic dinner but someone's on their phone, you know, or they're both on their phones. And I'm not saying that to just to point people up because I've done that myself. Like, I've gone out with Poro and we'll be like, hey, we're having a nice dinner. Oh, my phone vibrates. Oh, oh look, oh, I got the notification. Yeah, yeah things are, you know, put it out. Yeah, I love you, love you, love you. Oh, hang on, my phone. And we're totally distracted, constantly. Or, you know, um, in this room, we have what we call hip as a preschool program we have every Tuesdays, and uh, well, there's jumpy castles, there's slides, and kids are playing in here. So, so on Tuesdays, I, in the beginning of the year, I would bring my grandkids, in, and my job was to look after my grandkids. So they'll come in there, so they'll be with, with papa, on papa, they'll be running around, and then uh, I'll have my phone with me, and they will be they like, come on kids, yeah, yeah, go, go play, go play. And then while they're playing, I'll be on my phone, will be replying to emails, doing messenger groups, leadership groups, and then the kids will come back tapping my leg, pop, 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 trying to get my attention. Pop, 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 pop. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's go, yeah, go play. Oh, that is nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. And you see this when you go to parks, right? You go to the playgrounds with their mums or their, their kids. Let's go, kids, let's spend some time at the park together. And, they're, and, they're, and the mums are on their phones, scrolling. Swipe, now <laughs> and scrolling on their and things like this. And, uh, and the kids are trying to get their attention. And, and our attention is being, is, is, is being robbed. It's been, it's been stolen. And the reason why is we're less compassionate is because we've got a wealth of information, but yet we have a poverty of attention. We live in a society that has a poverty of of attention, that that we are not aware of people in need around us because we're so distracted with our devices or busy to-do lists, that we don't see a brother and sister that's in need. We don't need somebody who's struggling over here. We're not sitting with somebody at the fish and chip shop and talking to them and they're just telling us about how hard things have been going with because we're on our phone. So we can't can't minister to somebody or or, or encourage somebody because we're on our devices and, and and you know what? We we need to do something about this. Did you know we the average person spends an average of um of three hours on their looking at their phones? And I'm not talking about looking at movies. I'm not talking about looking at music videos or playing games. I'm talking about just looking at notifications alone. Three hours of looking at notifications alone. That's 43 days a year that we just look at notifications a year. Our society has become addicted to our phones. We have, and we need to ask, we need to have the conversation with ourselves and with our children about how do we manage this? Because this is part of our world. How do we manage this? But let us not tell our children, you need to get off those video games. Stop playing Fortnite. Stop playing all these games. Get off all your de- get off those devices. Back in our days, we used to play outside when you are on the phone yourself. Don't be telling, you kids need to get off those devices. You kids, you kids, you need to stop playing those games. on-stop oh, oh, look. oh, look, there's a little cat story. You know what I mean? We find ourselves in these places and and this is a journey that I've been on myself and I've discovered I do exactly that. So I've learned to put down our phones. So let us learn to put down our phones. Let us learn to put down our phones. Because what has your attention has you. What has your attention has you. It has become your king. What has your attention has you. It has become your king. What What is robbing your attention away from your children? What is it for you It robs your attention away from your children or robs your attention away from your loved one or your friends or your your parents or people in need. What is robbing you of your attention? Because what has your attention has you and has become your king. What has robbed your attention away from God? Ultimately, what robs your attention away from God? What is it for you? That's why when Jesus comes, he comes announcing that the kingdom of God is here. He comes to refocus, to re-grab our attention. He says the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. This is his message. This is the number one thing Jesus spoke about more than any other topic was this, that God's kingdom is here. It has arrived. It has come near. Refocus. Refocus. Bring your attention that God's kingdom is here. Repent and believe. And when we read this passage, sometimes we get confused because when we think of kingdom, our English words tell us that a kingdom is a place. It's a place that we go to. Like the kingdom of Tonga. The kingdom of Tonga is in the South Pacific somewhere. The United Kingdom, it's around England somewhere. You know, The, king, the kingdom is a place. And so when we, when we read like the kingdom of God is here, or the kingdom of God has arrived, or the kingdom of heaven is like, we kind of think of it like a place that there's a kingdom up there somewhere, and it's going to come down here. But for kingdoms in the Greek and in the Hebrew language, it is not a place. In our English language, it's a place, but in the Greek, it's basileia. And in the Hebrew, it is makut, and refers to an activity or an action. The kingdom is not a place, but an but a activity or an action. It's the way a king reigns. It's how we reign. That's what a kingdom is. It's, it's the way we reign. It's the way a king reigns, is what the kingdom of God is. It's not a place, but it's an activity or an action. So when Jesus says, the kingdom of God has arrived... What he's announcing is that is that the kingdom of God still reigns, but this is how he reigns. And so God enters his creation in the fullness of Jesus. He God binds himself with humanity in the fullness of Jesus. And he comes announcing that his kingdom, that he's still king. He hasn't gone anywhere, he's still king. And it's here. And and the kingdom is how, is how a king reigns. And Jesus came to restore humanity, restore the image of God. So when we read the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us that we are made in God's image. Woman and female alike, we're made in God's image and we were, we were made to reign. We were made to bring, to bring God's will onto this world. That's how we're meant to reign. But somewhere down the line, we decided what was good and evil for ourselves. That we're not going to let God define what good and evil is for us. We're going to define it for ourselves. And God, your will is not going to reign here, but we're going to assert our own will on this earth. And we find ourselves in a spiral, a trajectory heading down, downwards. And we always find ourselves in trouble. And we're, we're truly honest with ourselves, our greatest regret is because we caused it ourselves. So Jesus comes and he comes and he says, the kingdom of God is here. He's declaring this is the reign of God. God has come to retake his world. And this is how the reign of this is what the reign of God looks like. This is how you reign. And and if you and you are invited to come into the family of God. And you're invited to live under God's reign and, and rule and reign just like God does and bring God's reign to this world. And so Jesus shows us what that looks like. What does it look like? What does it look like when God reigns and rules in Jesus? It looks like a leper being healed. That's what it looks like. So you know what it looks like? It means like when there's somebody at work that says to you that they're, they're not feeling well, the reign of God looks like this. Can I pray for you for healing? That's what it looks like. It looks like a tax collector being invited in society. Now a tax collector was, the lowest of the, was lower than a sinner, was seen as, was an outcast, was seen, was, was seen as somebody who has uh, betrayed a nation. And, and one of and the people that Jesus invited into the disciple, as a disciple, was a tax collector. So what does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like we invite people that society will, will say, it's not worthy to be part of us. They say, you are welcome here. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That you're welcome into this place. It looks like a woman who, who has been caught in adultery, forgiven. What does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like forgiveness. It looks like something that, 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 that you should not be forgiven of. It means that I will forgive you. I will let down my offenses. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it looks like to reign here on earth. It looks like forgiveness. It looks like a woman who had initial blood for 12 years being set free. It looks like compassion. To be fully aware of the need around us. That's what the kingdom of God looks like here on earth. Jesus confronts evil. When Jesus came announcing and teaching the kingdom, he confronts evil. How does he confront evil? By reaching out to the people in need, people in most need. By reaching out to broken people. Because, you know, if, if in our thinking, if we were going to we establish a kingdom here on earth, what would that kingdom look like? That kingdom has to look powerful. We're going to have to build a strong army. Why? So we can assert our will. So that, we, that people can come under our rule and authority. Our kingdoms, kingdoms have to be powerful. But when Jesus comes, it's the upside-down kingdom. He starts declaring, my kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. The strongest in this kingdom is the least. My kingdom of God looks like people who love and forgive one another. My kingdom looks like, how do we come against people who are evil? With love. This is what my kingdom looks like. It's the upside-down kingdom. So, right at the end of Jesus' ministry, when, before he gets he is crucified and he and, he, and he arises from the dead. Before that all happens, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's with his disciples. And his disciples are they're kind of like following him. And so, I can just imagine what Jesus, oh no, Jesus is walking. Jesus walks like this, right? <laughs> anyway, his twelve disciples are behind him, and they're, they're kind of chasing. To them, James and John, that they, they, they think so. The disciples are thinking to themselves, you know, everybody's talking about Jesus. Like, honestly, the whole country was stirred by Jesus, on, and he was coming to Jerusalem. And the, and, and the disciples are thinking, when we get to Jerusalem, we're going to be famous. We're part of Jesus' 12 disciples. We're going to be famous. They're going to take Jesus and they're going to make him king and we're going to overthrow the Romans. And that's what this kingdom is going to look like. Jesus is going to, and they thought that Jesus was going to be king like King David, coming to, to, to rule and to overthrow the enemy with power and with might. They had no idea what the kingdom of God was going to look like. And so, two of the disciples, James and John, they come running up to Jesus and they go, Hey, Jesus, Jesus, you know, when we enter, we enter to Jerusalem. Yeah, well, we know you're the king and you're bringing your kingdom here. When we enter this place, can we be number, number two and number three? Can we sit either side of you? Because they thought, you know, when we get there, we want that authority, we want that rule, and we want to be leading, we want to be sitting next to you when you take, take control of this, of this nation. And I love the other disciples, they find out what the other two had asked. And so, Mark chapter 10, verse 41 says this When the 10 other disciples heard, What Jesus and John had asked, they were indignant. Okay, they were upset. They weren't upset because they thought, you know what? We need to be humble. Jesus talked about we're going to be first and last. How dare you ask that? The reason why they were the real reason they were upset is because they were thinking, what? If anybody should be second or third, it should be me. I should be. It should be. Can you imagine Peter? Peter's thinking, if anybody should be number two, it should be me. I was the one who got out of the boat. I was the one who began to walk on water. I may have sunk, but at least I got out of the boat. If anybody, it should be me. And, and Jesus, he was like, oh my goodness, I think I've chosen the wrong 12. You know, can you imagine that? You, you find you have a hard time with your team at work? Well, Jesus, he's had issues with his team because his disciples didn't quite get it. And it's okay if you don't get it at times because his disciples were with him for three years and they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. And so in verse 42, so Jesus called them together. He said, Come on, man, how much time is that to be with you guys, man? And this is what he says You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials, and they flaunt their authority over those under them. So this is what he says. Now, Jesus is about to declare this idea. It's a powerful idea. In fact, it's a revolutionary idea. This idea had never been heard at this time. This is the first time this idea, this idea of what a kingdom looks like, this is the first time that it is declared and preached anywhere in the world. It originates right here. And this is what Jesus says. This is the idea of what a kingdom looks like. This is what it looks like to be strong. And he says this, and he goes on, verse 43, but among you, it will be different. It's going to be different. This kingdom looks different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. You want to lead? You want to lead? Go and be a servant. That's how you lead in this kingdom. Matthew, who was the tax collector, he had servants. He knew exactly what they meant. But Jesus wasn't finished there. In fact, he goes a little bit deeper. And he goes on, he goes, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave Of everyone else. So look, don't just be a servant, be a slave. This is what my it's the upside-down kingdom. This is what my kingdom looks like. Then he goes on. For even the Son of Man, talking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why we're going to Jerusalem. This is what my kingdom looks like. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's an others-first kingdom. If you're going to follow me, it's about others first. It means lifting our eyes off our smartphones and our busy to-do list and being aware of people in need. Because what has your attention has you, and it will become your king. See, in this community of the upside-down kingdom, you gain honor by serving others. And instead of getting revenge, you forgive and you do good to those that offend you. This is what it looks like. In the kingdom of God, you gain true wealth by giving your wealth away to those in need. We haven't got much, but what we have, we'll give. Haven't, there's not much, we haven't got much room in our house, but there's room. To follow the servant king, you must become a servant yourself. You need to understand something. Strong people don't put others down. They lift them up. Strong people don't put others down. They lift them up. And I don't know if you really understand what this statement means. It, mean, it means lifting people up that have been putting you down all your life. It, it means lifting people up that you don't want to be lifting up. Because when we start putting up, pulling people down, you've lost your strength. Because true strength comes in the power of forgiveness the power of letting go of offenses, the power of serving one another, that is true strength. Strong people don't put others down, they lift them up. We lift one another up. That is how we are strong. For the kingdom of God needs our full attention. That's why when Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 6, when you read Matthew chapter 6, it's about like, the whole chapter 6 is about, don't worry about, where your next paycheck will come from. In other words, don't worry about where your clothes and your food are going to come from. Jesus talks about this, and don't worry about all those things. And Jesus is not saying that, look, I, I, look, live in denial of, of, of where you are. He's not saying that at all. He's saying change your perspective. Jesus is inviting us into God's goodness and abundance because our scarcity problem, because we do have a scarcity problem, a, a fear of not enough, our scarcity scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources, rather it's a mindset that God can't be trusted. But when you can trust God, then there's always room. When you can trust God, then there's always food when there is none. It's about being fully aware, because when you believe there is enough, you will begin to see opportunity to be generous everywhere. You'll begin to be generous with your time, with your money. And with your attention. We can experience God's kingdom by sharing with others because our trust that God, our trust that God is a generous king. What has your attention has you. That's why Jesus, when he ends this chapter of Matthew 6, he says this: but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is what Jesus is saying, he ends this. Seek first his kingdom. That's what I want you to do. Seek first his kingdom. What's the kingdom? It's an activity. It's an action. It's not a place. It's what you do. It's how you reign. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, all the stuff, the stuff that we worry about, about our next paycheck to the next paycheck, all the things we worry about, what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, where we're going to sleep, all these things will be given to you as well. When you seek his kingdom. And the kingdom is an action, and activity. It's how we reign and what we do. Put first, reprioritize, reorder, rearrange, rethink. I want you to seek my Father's kingdom. But my Father's kingdom is another's first kingdom. If you're going to follow me, it's about others first. Be aware, pay attention to the need around you. If we're going to invite Jesus in every part of our lives, seriously, if you're going to invite Jesus in every part of your life, you you need to know what that means. It means trusting him. Because it's going to take you to a place of other, other firstness. Because what has your attention has you. It will become your king. You know, a few years ago when, actually I know the date off by heart, it was January 14th, 2016. The reason why I know that date off by heart because it's my daughter's birthday. We were celebrating my daughter's birthday at Genji's. And the reason why we were celebrating there because she gets a meal for free. That's how I roll. Anybody else go to birthdays where you can eat for free? Yeah. <laughs> and so, And after we finished eating and the kids were happy, I was a bit sad because I had to pay for the rest of the kids um and as and we're walking back to the car this is in town walking back to the car and as we, there was this guy in our church he's just started coming to our church and i recognized him and i said hey bro you know what are you up to because he, he just finished serving there's a place in town where they serve people in need he just finished serving there and i said oh all good catch you later brother and then we're heading to the van as we're heading to my van i felt god say to me ask him where he's staying tonight and i was like i don't want to ask him that because I know exactly what that means. So I was like, come on, quit. kids, get in the car, get in the car, quick, quick, get in the car. I want to close the door, get in there quick so I can jump in the car. And then God was like, do I need to speak plainly to you? So I turned around and said, hey, bro, where are you staying tonight? And he just kind of looked up in the sky and he goes, oh, oh around. And I was come in the car, jump in the car. He jumped in and he, and he uh, stayed on, on a mattress in a lounge and he stayed there for about a month until he got his own place. And um, let me tell you something. I'm not telling you this to say that what a saint I am, because I don't normally do that. I'm not a person that invites, I don't, that's what, I don't do that every day. But I tell you that because of the impact of what happened to this, this, this man's life. He, this, uh, he went on, and let me tell you, his name is Tiffany, you're sitting right over here. This guy here. You'll see, him. You'll see <laughs> Tiffany serving at the front, holding a sign up in the car park. In fact, when he put him in charge of a car parking when he came, and tell you what, he gives, every day he's here. Every day he's here. We sometimes take tippany for granted, because he's every day. And he's serving. He doesn't worry what he's going to eat, he doesn't worry he's going to sleep, because he trusts and he knows that God has him. And he gives so much of himself. You know what he went on and he studied at Vineyard Bible College? You know? Did you know that he had, well, society will say that he has a learning disability, meaning that when he writes things on a page, it's all jumbled up. It's like you get English language, shake it around, throw it on there, that's what you get. But you know what? He didn't see it as a disability and, you know, and he has now a certificate in ministry. He completed it. He completed it. You know, in the past, in the past he would be told, he, he thought that he wasn't good enough, but he didn't realize he had a disability. He thought education wasn't his thing. He's got nothing, he's, he's believe me, he capable. But you know what? I share this story not to tell you Oh, what a saint I am. I'm, I share the story to say about how lives change, of how you can change someone's life. You have no idea. I didn't do much, to be honest. It was just a, a, a mattress on the floor. I didn't do anything. I, I still lived my life. But you know what? When you begin to bless God, you have no idea what you're doing when you bless people's lives. What does it look like when you reign? When you bring God's reign and God's will on this earth? What does that look like? It looks like forgiveness. It looks like love. It looks like being fully aware of what's around you. It looks like, it looks like having, having we haven't got much, but there's food. We haven't got a space, but there's space. It means being fully aware about being God's reign here on earth, being God's compassion. Because a strong man lifts people up. God's looking for some strong people in this house this morning. It's the upside-down kingdom.